We're rolling. We're rolling. We're rolling on our fifth episode. And this is the midpoint in this first series. I can't believe it's actually flown by so fast. I've only just finished editing episode four, which comes out next Monday. So <laughs> somehow this buffer that we've created has just vanished. We thought we'd be really professional by allowing ourselves some, you know, having like a bank, if you will, of episodes. And we didn't realize how quickly they would catch up with us. It's crazy. But it has been five weeks, I guess, if you're listening to this as episode five, five weeks since we started this adventure. And I thought, you know, we've been talking about how long we were going to do this for. We never intended just to make it something that rolls for the entire year. I'd Mm. rather the consistency of releasing one per week for a set period of time and then taking a little break, kind of regrouping, looking at what we've made and then coming back to it. That's it. A little mandated break. We have quite an international mixed plate of people, which we love. Yeah, and that's very exciting. It is. And I think that's only going to continue to grow as our friends share it with other friends. And we... None from Japan. I really was brewing on that. Do you, do you have fans in Japan? Uh, I'm a fan of Japan. I don't have fans right. in Japan, but it is a part of the world I'm working on. Um, conquering is the, one, is the <laughs> wrong word. I come in peace. Uh, I just am fascinated by Japanese culture. I think it's got so much history. The people are lovely. Hospitality is like next level. The food, and we'll leave it at that. <laughs> I forgot that you could speak slight No, I can speak. Thank you, can. you advanced. <laughs> it's your word against mine. I have no idea. What is it about the last five episodes that you've enjoyed? And then I'll ask what you haven't enjoyed. I have so thoroughly enjoyed, first and foremost, our friendship blossoming. I don't think I've discovered anything new about you per se. I mean, I had like small things, whether it's like the fact that you used to eat yogurt out of pots. Like I, that's, just, that's a cute thing for me that I get to carry in my mind. Um, I'd say that we have more in common than I thought we did. Totally. And I really like that because although we did say that we want to challenge each other a bit more, I'm like, how can I challenge a fellow lily pad? Do you know what I mean? Like you appreciate my humor and I appreciate yours. The humor was the very first thing that I realized we had in common. Okay. Because you said something and then I said something back in a very dry and monotonous voice, Mm. which most people would assume wrongly is me just being serious. Right. And you added to it with a deadpan face immediately. And I was like, oh man, this never happens. You are right. I think the pod has just kind of reinforced that, you know, even though we're from different backgrounds, different cultures, we are quite similar, which is really lovely. Which is kind of strange because my first impression of you was that... Oh yes, great. Let's do first impressions. My first impression of you was that you're, and I think you you are quite glass half full, quite positive, quite bubbly, quite uh, energetic. I'm sliding him the 20 pound note across the table now. <laughs> but I also thought that you were possibly going to be too high energy oh, to, yeah. for, for me because I am... People get that a lot. Because, <laughs> <laughs> That's not the first time I've heard that. Because I, I'm not that. I'm, I'm, the glass is as full as it is. Just look at it. Like, yeah, you're a rational Ronaldo. That's, that's great. That's why we love you. And I, it's not like I want to pull people's energy down to my level, but I think 
emotional vampire alert. <laughs> but I think you are, I, I say this to you a lot, you are like a creme brulee. Yeah, I do like that. Yeah. Can Tough you outer explain? Shell. Yeah, sorry. Tough outer shell and uh, very gooey inside. That's me. That's yeah. me. The first impression I got of Danos is that he was five years older than me. I was like, oh, here's a king who's made it. He's in his early 30s. He's got a great job. I'm just going to come in and he's going to see straight through my bullshit and see that I don't know <laughs> what I'm doing. And that all my highlighters are kind of compensating for uh, sort of the fact that I'm, I've never done this before. And then I realized, oh, wow, he's my age. So immediately, I mean, I don't know when I found that out. Not even uh, your birthday is the 19th, isn't it? Yeah, I'm older than you. Older, but by nine days. I was supposed to be a Leo, though. My due date was the 18th, which incidentally is my cat's birthday. No. So, <laughs> so we'd have only been one day Feline apart. Feline funky. <laughs> Um, that's also something that I thought about you. I thought, oh, I think I sort of assumed because you come across as so clever, which you are, which um, can naturally be quite intimidating for some people. So when I realized, you know, that you actually had a very fun, sarcastic humor and I felt instantly comfortable around you, that was really nice that I could think, okay, not only am I older and wiser than him, but I actually feel very safe to be myself around him. And that was very um, unexpected. Mm. So quickly on, might I add. <laughs> I'm so glad that you thought I was intelligent until you got to know me. <laughs> I just, I think IQ and EQ are often, IQ being brains and EQ being heart. I, I think, Oh, I didn't know this. Yeah. You've said EQ so many times and I was like, that's a weird pronunciation of IQ. Are or you being I, sarcastic? Or ironically, you thought it was... <laughs> I'm that dumb that I thought <laughs> IQ is EQ. Thank you, Dan. Now who's calling who dumb? <laughs> Um, yeah, but I think EQ being like your emotional intelligence. Ah, nice. Um, yeah, I think it, it's one thing to be a smart person, brains, you know, talent, skill set, but it's another thing to be a smart, emotional person. And I think it's really rare to meet someone that, you know, has both. And, um, and I think some people have them in varying levels, but you are definitely, your intelligence is balanced out with your emotional intelligence and your ability to be empathetic and, okay, stop smiling. Sorry. <laughs> He's loving this. This is he goes stroking like, my ego. Yes. No, this right. is... Uh... <laughs> Back to being dumb. <laughs> I'm just going to cut all of this out. It would just be... Please don't. What's this our insight the cutest of the week? intro no, ever. This is lovely. I love it. So I had a question I want to ask you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now, what is it? Question mark. <laughs> I thought about it and I have kind of like changed it so it doesn't sound so sick. But the question is, if you had to give a stranger five free counseling sessions, might I add, this is a stranger who has wronged you. Mm. I mean, we've all had that experience, but have we ever been able to give that stranger five free counseling sessions that they have no choice but to accept? Now, I'll let you think about it. I'm going to start just so I can illustrate what I mean by that. Mm. So uh, clearly I hold on to things <laughs> <laughs> and we're working on it, Okay. Um, do, do you not feel like this is kind of like counselling for ourselves? This is major counselling. Mm. 
And it just shows that you have all the answers within you. You just need someone to help you extract those feelings. And I'm only charging probably 10% of what Well, this is 250 an hour. So, and then you do the editing fee on top of that for right. me. So, yeah. I mean, it's the best £400 I could ever spend in That's a month. That's a priceless friendship right there. I think it is. And it's one that I would, I would not hesitate to, you know, go back into if I had a choice. So, back to The Stranger. I was working in a cafe, as we know, for a few years. And, uh, you know, at this particular cafe, there was some pretty challenging customers, as I'm sure there are in all cafes, right? It's like the perfect intersection of life. This particular cafe was in quite a well-to-do area and it was kind of another day. I was at the till and this French woman comes in. She's beautiful. You know, she's wearing a gorgeous outfit uh, and she comes in and I'm going to try and do her accent. Uh, yes, hello. Um, so I want to uh, get the um, the charcoal bread that you have. And I was like, oh, yeah, uh, the charcoal bread. I was like, we actually don't sell that anymore, unfortunately. And she goes, yes, you do. And I was like, uh, which, which bread are you referring to? She said, you had this certain type of bread. I come here all the time and you should have it to sell. So she's telling me what we have to sell. And obviously I'd been there two years, never seen this woman before in my life. And she just very rudely was looking at me in such an awful way. And I'd had a really good day up until that point. I think it was about lunchtime. And she was like, you have the bread. Just give me the bread. I know you have it. And I was like, I'm, I'm really sorry. I don't know what bread you're referring to. Here's our other bread that you're able to buy. And she goes, no, that's not the one. Anyway, this keeps going on. And then I started getting a bit annoyed. I sort of thought, well, you're talking to me like shit and I'm not an idiot. Mm. So I said to her, well, I've, I've been working here two years and this is the only bread I know that we've sold. And she goes, no, it's not. And then turns around and storms out of the cafe. Now, a lot of people who are rational in this situation would go, okay, look, she's obviously had a shit morning, but I still think that there is no excuse talking to people like that, especially in hospitality. I mean, 90% of hospitality workers, I would say, are either doing it to, to make money in the interim or, or they're passionate about it and they're doing it alongside something else. But, you know, a lot of hospitality workers, I'd say, would prefer to be doing something else. I think that's a fair mm-hmm. thing to yeah. say. And uh, she just spoke to me like utter shit. And I remember feeling so annoyed at that situation because I had so little control over it. And I really couldn't defend myself because the customer's always right, etc. So in thinking about this question, I thought, bless her. Like with hindsight, having been away from the hospitality industry, I really want to give her these therapy sessions. Hopefully she's resolved whatever issues she had at that time. Well, I'm sorry that you went through that. Oh, that's okay. It's really annoying when people feel that they can treat people like that. I mean, we talked about people working in customer service in episode three and how this guy was quite rude, quite stark. Um, you know, maybe maybe he just had a bad day as well. Well, I hope she enjoys her five free sessions. I do too. I really can't wait to catch up with her yeah. next week. She'll be our guest. <laughs> what about you? Have you thought any more about who you would give these five free therapy sessions I to? I have actually. Uh, I don't know how many years ago it was now. Probably seven, about seven years ago. Do you see? We hang on to shit, people. This is why yeah. we need therapy. I was very excited to meet this guy and talk to him about the possibility of maybe writing some music for him. 
He was very interested to meet me. Even though he lived in my town, he asked that we meet in London at his office. So bright and early on a Saturday, which he was working, I went up to London, probably on the same train as him, got to the office at about half past nine. I just ironed my shirt. I was so excited to meet him. I'd like burnt about five different pieces onto a CD to show to him. And I went in and he accepted me having a meeting with him, which on the face of it was very kind. What he did in the, I'd say, eight minutes I was actually in the room was basically tell me that film composition is so hard to get into that you may as well not try. And you could tell there was a chip on his shoulder. And from my perspective, looking at a fellow person in the industry, I thought, wow, this guy has got loads of years of experience. This guy clearly knows a lot. I'm the person who knows nothing. Having been in this industry now for a short amount of time and having figured out who the main team players are, I can tell you now that he's not one of them. And (laughs) he made me feel like shit on the day. And when I left my CD with him, he said, actually, could you email them to me? None of my computers have CD drives. So I had to take my CD home and then email him the tracks. I'll have your CD. Thanks, Queen. Um, In that moment, I I felt a little bit let down and and definitely felt demotivated. Of course. Um, And I think had he... A, not struggled so much in the industry himself, or B, just realized that this is a kid who wants to learn a little bit and um, benefit potentially from from your negative experience, that ultimately it's a, it's a net positive thing, not someone who wants to steal your job. I think he would very much benefit from those counseling sessions. Mm, and I actually benefited from having that little rant, so thank you for that. I'm glad. I felt like that had maybe been trapped in there and you maybe didn't have a reason to talk about it. But I'm going to float out of this lower ground flat once are. we finish. Yeah. There'll be balloons attached to your head metaphorically, yeah. just up, 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 lifting, lifting. I just think these things, even though they may seem insignificant to us, they do weigh on us. And by talking about them and rationalizing them, it just feels nice. It feels like, hey, I wasn't crazy in that moment. I was right to feel how I did. And uh, and now I'm going to take revenge. <laughs> Burn it to the ground. <laughs> there is something we should talk about, um, which I would love to hear your thoughts on. So upon reflection, and I think we're both at a, a point in our lives where, um, as we were saying, we are sort of in a period of transition and change and sort of deciding what we want and where we want our, our path to go. Um, and I was thinking about dream jobs and sort of how we know when we've reached them. And, you know, is there a point where we stop chasing your dream job? Is there a point where, you know, you go, I'm content and happy where I am and I'm going to stay here for a few years? Or, you know, is there a point where you go, actually, um, is there such thing as a dream job? What are your thoughts? I think this is a great topic of conversation because for a lot of people, career is kind of your life. I mean, some people have aims to raise a family. Some people have aims to go outside and spend as much time in nature. Some people, they want to get to the top of the corporate ladder and look down from their ivory tower. I think it's very difficult to know when you've reached that peak. And I liked the wording you used in the last episode, which was that we've reached a fairly cynical age. I think we have. I think we're we're starting to look outwards. We're starting to look inwards as well. We're starting to think about where we're at in our lives, where we want to be in the next five or 10 years time. And our lives are going to change. I know people say that, you know, your teen years and your childhood years are so formative, but I really think that your 20s are possibly the most formative in that you go really from being a kid to being a proper adult. And a lot of people by the age of 30, 35, they're married, they might have kids, they'll be in a job that they hopefully like or are starting to like. Whereas a lot of your early 20s are kind of, you know, 
the sky's the limit and you know the world's your oyster all of those types of uh, metaphors but i i want to read a, a little passage here about um i believe you know the the mexican fisherman story uh, i didn't know it was a mexican man but i like it so the idea about this because i've had this conversation with my dad many times is that you could choose to be at the very top of your company if you work within a company which for you and I, we don't because we're freelancers. Um, but you could want to work at that very kind of peak level or you could be satisfied with where you're at, at a kind of baseline point. That little kind of extra jump in salary might be met with more responsibility, might be met with more meetings that you don't have to attend, things like that. And I think this Mexican fisherman story perfectly tells this. Now, I'm reading this from a website, but I don't think this website owns the story because this is something that's been kind of a, a fable of a time. A legend. Exactly. An American investment banker was at a pier in a small coastal Mexican village when a small boat with just one fisherman docked. Inside the small boat were several large yellowfin tuna. The American complimented the Mexican on the quality of his fish and asked how long it took to catch them. The Mexican replied, only a little while. The American then asked why he didn't stay out longer and catch more fish. The Mexican said he had enough to support his family's immediate needs. The American then asked, but what do you do with the rest of your time? The Mexican fisherman said, I sleep late, fish a little, play with my children, take siestas with my wife, stroll into the village each evening where I sip wine and play guitar with my amigos. I have a full and busy life. The American scoffed. I am a Harvard MBA and I could help you. You could spend more time fishing with the proceeds, buy a bigger boat. With the proceeds from the bigger boat, you could buy several boats. Eventually, you'll have a fleet of fishing boats. Instead of selling your catch to a middleman, you'd be selling directly to the processor. Eventually, opening your own cannery. You could control the product, processing, and distribution. You would need to leave this small coastal fishing village and move to Mexico City, then LA, and eventually New York City, where you will run your expanding enterprise. The Mexican fisherman asked, but how long will this all take? To which the American replied, 15 to 20 years. But what then? asked the Mexican. The American laughed and said, that's the best part. When the time is right, you would announce an IPO and sell your company stock to the public and become very rich. You would make millions. Millions? Then what? The American said, then you would retire, move to a small coastal fishing village where you could sleep late, fish a little, play with your kids, take siestas with your wife, stroll to the village in the evenings where you could sip wine and play your guitar with your amigos. Queen, that's a lovely, lovely story. And I think it's so relevant when talking about dream jobs and sort of the definition of success. The reason I bring it up is because I think a lot of people, they aim to get to the top or at least they think that's what they want, but they may have the life they want to live right now. I often think that instead of money as the currency for which you do your work, think of it as your current lifestyle. And that's maybe not so good a thing because you'd be spending 100% of what you earn and you wouldn't be saving anything. But just imagine that in exchange for this life you get to lead, where you get to live in your own flat, you get to see your friends, you get to do all, your, all of your stuff. That is why you do the work eight hours a day or whatever. Is that satisfying to you? Maybe, maybe not. I really love that. I mean, our generation are all about the viral hit, that serotonin release of like, oh my God, we got famous, we got viral, we got this, we got that. But then where do you go after hitting the most success that you can? I think once you've got your dream job, great. I know a lot of people who've, who've got their dream job, but then what about their relationships? What about the other elements in their life that require, you know, nurturing? I've always been someone who puts their relationships before their career. And I'm 
happy in admitting that. Like I remember at the end of year 12, all the girls got up on stage and, you know, the principal kind of read out a little thing that we had written. And, you know, a lot of people, it was like in 10 years time, I want to be an investment banker working for blah, 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 blah. Or I want to be running my own company specializing in tech. And I remember putting, I want to be a mum. And there just kind of fell this silence in the audience. And um, it was kind of weird, right? Because you've got this 18-year-old just being like, I just want to be a mum. But I really do want to be a mum. And I think that's that's great to want to be a mum. Um, it's also great if you don't want to be a mum and if you want to do other things. But I can I can honestly say that I've, I want to have a, a lovely lifestyle. But more than the dream job is I want to have relationships that make me happy. Because really, money's great. It can buy you therapy. It can buy you nice things to kind of fill the time. The, the quick hits of um, serotonin, you can buy yourself a beautiful holiday or a nice bag or your own flat or a house. And, you know, that there's no denying that money does make those things easier. But when shit hits the fan and you, you need someone to be there for you, if you look around and you've got no one, that to me is like the worst case scenario. Worse yeah. than not having your dream job. I totally agree. Yeah, it's it's sort of at the end of your life, you're going to be surrounded by your money and not by your your loved ones, effectively. That's it, that's it. Yeah, it's so true. I, I saw a similar video the other day. It was someone who'd scored, I don't know, the, had done the best in their year or something and they'd graduated from, let's say, Harvard or some other university and they were coming back to give an inspirational speech to any graduates that were there. And in a similar way, they said, you know, I, I did the best in my year and I got this special award and I was so excited about it and I put so much hard work into it. And then when I stood up on stage and received this very prestigious award, I felt great for about 15 seconds. And then I realized that I had sacrificed every relationship, every opportunity to make friends that I was effectively leaving with this award and this award only pretty that much. That makes you feel so sad. Yeah. Because and it's so empty. Yeah. And it and it was and it was like that for them, I think. And you know, they were just saying nothing is more important than these relationships and mm. these friendships that you will make. Mm. And I thought that was really kind of profound because a lot of people, especially in these very prestigious environments, you know, they suggest that if you work hard, you can achieve achieve your dreams. It's the same thing as asking people who are leaving, you know, a high school or something, uh, what do you want to be when you're older? Like, I think it's kind of profound that you said, mum, I would also think it was profound if someone just said, I just want to be happy. Like, oh yeah, <laughs> that person that did that, you will look at them and you're like, well done. That was, <laughs> that was beautiful. <laughs> also, if you do have your dream job, there's nothing wrong in saying, I actually have my dream job. That's so nice. Mm. Uh, and that should be celebrated. That's not to say that I, I don't think that I have a dream job out there for sure. I haven't gotten that yet. Um, you know, would I like this to be my full-time job? Fuck yeah. Well, the podcasting. Yeah. Presenting. Oh, nice. That's my, that's my pash, you know, that's, what I want to do. I'm glad that we're making that a thing for you. Yeah, <laughs> me using you to get to my <laughs> dreams. <laughs> no, but I think it's um I think it's I think it's good to to know what you have your eyes set on. I think it's always good to kind of look a little bit further ahead. Um but then I guess it's how do you know that you've reached that point? Because it's not just it's not just seeking to be kind of in equilibrium, is it? It's like of trying to have a balanced life that is both life and work and leisure and pleasure and all of those other things. Mm. It's also like, I think for people who have very high expectations on things, they are probably never that satisfied. At least for me, I have always wanted more in, in the sense of being greedy for my own kind of accomplishments. Like 
if I reach X number of subscribers or I've done a project with X person or whatever, it's like, cool, but like, what's the next thing? What's the next thing? And that's fair enough because like I'm at an age where, you know, I, I still have space to grow. And I think that has pulled me out of many a time where I felt really kind of nihilistic about like, what what is the point with life? Because, you know, is this really it? And Can you like, explain nihilism? Because I didn't know it before you said that word. Well, it's just like abandoning all religion and faith because life is effectively meaningless. And it's a fairly inward, very insular feeling. And I've had it a couple of times where I've just thought, this can't seriously be it. Like, Mm. we're just living this day to day. And I thought that anyone who wasn't feeling this was just in denial. And having kind of come through the other side of that, I've just realized that, you know, it's about seeking joy in the other things and experiencing joy in the day to day. And probably not necessarily about finding an answer to that question because no matter how many hours of therapy you might go to you're not necessarily going to find that answer but what you might find is that you ask those questions less of yourself and for me I definitely I don't think about that at the moment Um, maybe that's because I have my eyes set on other things but I think at times especially when you feel very burnt out that that is often a question you might ask is like man, this just feels so uphill. Like, mm. what, what is actually the point in this? Very proud of you, though, for coming to that realisation because it's not always easy to confront those very heavy thoughts. Yeah. Like, I remember, you know, on a minor scale when I was younger and I couldn't sleep, I'd get inside my head and I'd be like, I can't sleep, but everyone else is sleeping. So this means I'm going to be tired because I'm not going to sleep and I'm going to think about all the sleep that I'm not getting and everyone else is going to be better than me because they're sleeping and I'm not sleeping and they're sleeping. And it just became this like constant thought. Mm. But the less you focus on something, the less it grows. The more you give attention to something, the more that grows. So it is sort of about talking to yourself and, you know, being like, all right, you know, instead of questioning the meaning of life, find the meaning, the things that I find joy and meaning in every day, whether that's making a cup of coffee for me and my partner or my flatmate, or whether that's going to feed the birds in Hyde Park, ugh, would never do that. Or whether that's buying yourself some tulips or, you know, um, listening to your favorite podcast, wink, wink, that's <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, I think, I think perhaps the answer is there is no answer. There mm. is no dream job. And if there is, and you're living it, well done you. And if you're not, then that's okay. Uh, you know, we, I mean, we could talk about this forever, but really at the end of the day, um, I think, you know, the dream job hand in hand with success, hand in hand with happiness, it's finding joy in the day to day, whether that's you've got enough money or I, do have enough money, but I'm not happy in my job or I have enough money, but I have no relationships and I have no meaningful friendships. Mm. You know, um, if you're happy in in your day-to-day life, that's got to be the most important thing, right? For sure. I think that's, I think that's the goal. So Queen, we're going back to our fun facts for the end of this podcast. I missed them last week. Yeah, me too. We went with fears and I actually feel like that was quite a humbling fact to share in a different way. So, uh, without further ado, please take it away for your fun fact of the week. This is quite a simple one, but it's that your lips touch when you say the word separate. Separate. But don't touch when you say the word together. Together. God, that's quite cool. Mm. Everyone try that now? They've already tried it. Great. So, uh, something I find quite cool is the fact that human teeth are the only part of the body that cannot heal themselves. Teeth are coated in enamel, which is not a living tissue. Interesting. There's also another fun fact that oh, I two, quite like. Two for the price of one. Uh, two for the price of one. <laughs> Take yours to the checkout now. So, it is 
that Australia is wider than the moon. The moon sits at 3,400 kilometers in diameter, while Australia's diameter from east to west is almost 4,000 kilometers. Jesus. I know. And I think that's why Australians are so warm because A, we're in a warm climate, but B, our, our diameter is so wide that we have no choice but to be kind of friendly. Right. <laughs> I mean, when you've got such a, a reputation, you have to live up to it. Did you know that you always see the same part of the moon? No. At night. Everyone does. And some phones now have a, a like a night moon mode where you can take a photo of the moon and it looks incredibly high resolution. And some conspiracy theorists are suggesting that these phones are actually superimposing a high quality photo that has been taken on a DSLR or something. Because realistically, you're always going to see the same part of the moon from wherever you are in the world. That's pretty cool. That should have been my fun fact. That, But it can still be. Okay, I've got one more. That's it. Okay. I'm sorry. Then we need, I'm then really we need to excited. It's illegal to own just one guinea pig in Switzerland. Just one. Oh, no. That Well, that stands to reason because they, they can't be alone. Wait, how did you know that? That's literally the reason. It's considered animal abuse because they're social beings and get lonely. I think the same could probably be true for rabbits. I agree. Can I add a... a part b to my part a no this is a personal anecdote we used to have you know the credits are rolling right now right (laughs) (laughs) you're playing the jingle over me just quickly we used to have 32 guinea pigs jesus christ they'd all breed with each other so my sister and i would be playing and dad would come down and be like girls girls guess what the guinea pigs had kids and we're like but they're all related and he was like don't think about it so we had like an inbred kind of um, oh, wow. band of guinea pigs. Uh, <laughs> please don't come after us, animal abuse um, corporations. But they were all very happy and nurtured and they lived in a beautiful open pen and uh, they no longer exist. Since the fire. <laughs> <laughs> Since they got removed from us from animal authorities. Wow. I had two guinea pigs when I was a child, but that's for another episode. Okay. Episode six, guinea pigs. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening, guys. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. And stay tuned for another voice note. Bye. Bye.